When you were like, at what age do you, f well, you, I know you know, because I feel like you were like raised, you were just, you were open from the beginning, meaning, right? I was, I was invited in from some pretty open people. And so I was given a pretty like strong foundation of, of a connection. You know, not a lot of um, abuse, I guess, not a lot of trauma. Right. Um, that was very, my parents were really, my mother specifically was very, had, a, had an awakening when she was 18, um, where the room filled with light when she was at a point where she wanted to take her own life. And um, that was a really powerful uh, signal to her that her, 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 uh, that where she to needed go. to be here. Yeah, yeah, where to go. And That's that she great. was gonna be a mother and that she was going to call in and be, that was gonna be one of her major roles in this life and to bring in some star beans. And who was like, you know, people followed certain people, certain gurus or who was, what was her, her practice? Well, one of the things that was her uh, first kind of like books that really influenced her and opened her up was the autobiography of a yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. And she said that this book just kind of blasted her, her consciousness open into something where she felt she understood because yeah. of that experience that she had. And it helped her connect um, with a larger network of people too. She, I don't think she went and traveled to, to be with be with them she was kind of a solo writer in many ways um my father the two of them are still together really um and he's a he's he's kind of been with it since the beginning is my sense and he's he a he's conservative of, guy a little bit in some ways but he's more open than even my mother in other ways really you know they have an incredible balance with each other they're very like Yin Yang, they bicker a lot in little things, but they love each other so deeply, you know, and there's something, there's some kind of vision that my father holds and trust that is this, this, you know, in the universe. He actually did quite a bit of experimentation with psychedelics also in the 60s, oh, really? which my mother did not do. But when I later came to him, I was like, hey, dad, so finally tried LSD. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you? I was 27. Okay. I waited actually quite a while. Jeez. I did too. I was. I, I did it at 11. Really? I mean, I think I, mushrooms I did, when I was 11. Mushrooms. Yeah. Mushrooms when I was younger. Yeah. But I was in Louisville, Kentucky, so it was like we were a little bit more outbacky. Yeah. 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 So when I was in eighth, ninth grade, like doing acid was quite regular. I was in class on acid. But but you know it's different. Like mm -hmm. when you talk about doing acid when I was younger, it just seemed like doing a drug or getting as blasted out as you could yeah. not to do it for a spiritual bridge. No, so we were speak. definitely like watching uh, Led Zeppelin movies through the big screen and how they had the colors at the bottom, the projector, you know, you know what I'm yeah, talking about? Yeah, the big one. And we were like looking at it, orange the three, the three, and red like, and yellow. Yeah, um, we're like, wow, check it out in blue. Yeah. Definitely was not a conscious, you know, at least we weren't aware, you know, I'm pretty sure some of those things have led to who I am and what I, what I go through. But yeah, at the time we weren't seeking for anything except for escape yeah. uh, uh, and a trip. And when you're like, the other thing I was looking at is when you were younger, being, I went through an awakening just in just very recent over the past couple of years. And it, uh, it led me here, led me to what I'm doing right now. And it was difficult for me just because I didn't understand what was happening. And a lot of the people that were viewing what I was doing and the things I was saying, it looked like I was crazy. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I'd see other people that said they were born open. I was like, it must've been the same thing, but just reversed because to be so different as a kid mm -hmm. and be separated because you see different things. 
must be terrifying, like completely. Like that to me seems just as bad, you know, because kids are mean. Yeah, no You doubt. know, they're real mean. Mm. So, and especially if you're starting to see things like that or, you know, that must have been a trip. Well, we were, I was, it was helpful that I wasn't in actually school. I wasn't really put into school, into a public school system ever, actually, as a kid. That's I was, I was homeschooled. And then I was also in Waldorf schools. Uh, I was homeschooled second and third grade with a with we had a few other um, family friends groups that were in kind the of raising their kids yeah. in the same way. That's great. And so we got to play together, and we were super like our our lives were play, yeah. and we were supported in our play. We we made these huge plays actually theaters where we invited the whole theater the whole neighborhood to, yeah. and I was the one you know doing. I was one of the older ones, so I was directing and. You know, calling the shots. Charge, char- calling the shots. That's awesome. <laughs> but we had so much fun. And I taught myself how to read during that time, too, out of pure curiosity. Wow. Um, I kept asking the grown-ups. I was like, what does this say? What does this say? You know, and then just became a bookworm. But nobody told me I couldn't. You know, and this was the thing. My parents were always very supportive um, in what I was really interested in. Yeah. You know, and that didn't really tell me I couldn't do it. So it was, I got to be around a lot of interesting, like, adults too mm. and then you just you know and 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 seeing auras and and all of that was very normal to me like i had an, a relationship with with an energy energy yeah that was normal until there was this man and nobody talked to me about it i just thought everybody saw that way right and then there was this friend of my mom's who owned a crystal shop in miami because <laughs> we lived in south florida at the time right and he came he he kneeled down and put his hands on my shoulders and he was like and asked me very, you know, he was very serious. He's like, do you, do you see anything around your mother? My mother was like standing aside and like looking at some cards or something. And, um, and I was like, no grown up had talked to me like that before. You know? <laughs> and so I, I told him what I saw and he was like, and he looked at me very, very deeply. And he's like, don't ever forget that. And how old were you about this? How old? I was probably about five or six. Yeah, that's wow. Amazing. That's but great. it was something though that I did lose actually. Like we we moved back to Colorado when I was going into fourth grade, and I went into a school, Waldorf school, which was a really um, nurturing and beautiful environment. Are they kind of like mystery schools in the in the well, kind of way? If you know much about Rudolf Steiner and you do some research on Rudolf Steiner, which I would advise anyone who's interested in any of this stuff to go listen to some stuff on YouTube or read some of his books. This guy was a mystic. Um, a fascinating character from the turn of the century um, and he so the Waldorf school in many ways is now I'm understanding it to be a mystery school for sure oh so it is yeah okay I I don't think it would looking be looking back at publicized it publicized as that got it no, I'm but the way that the children are received in reverence educated in love sent forth in freedom I think like the whole like goal of what the school is there to create a wholesome human being yeah. is what a mystery school is at the root of what a mystery school from like the yeah yeah gnostic, no. that makes a lot of know. sense it's you know i i, I didn't get a lot of school myself and mm-hmm. i think because of that i wasn't indoctrinated with all the, the those things that you can't do mm. so i also feel that my street wisdom kind of came about because i didn't have those rules yeah. those, those conditions on me. Yeah, so when you, you know I think that schools and starts, I'm saying that there's great things when they teach you, but it's the people and the, what, the, what the kids are doing that, that kind of closes you off. You feel judged and, 
it doesn't let you really get into who you really are because you're so worried about being judged as a kid. That's when yeah. it starts, you know? So busy trying to fit in. Yeah. But, which that, is, but you don't get out of that. Like, even in my experience in the most, like, you know, nurturing environment, there was kids in fourth, fifth grade. You know, everybody's kind of like, mm, what you wearing? Up. What you doing? Yeah. You know, and it was traumatizing. That was probably one of my biggest social traumas. Going into a Waldorf school in fourth grade in Boulder, Colorado, you know? But, but there it, they don't pick on you. They cast a spell on you. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> it's like total opposite right. from where you guys, I'm sure, grew up, you know? I mean, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. So for me, I went to private schools. I was, uh, always had a scholarship for playing basketball or being black. You know, that was my deal. So I was the only, there was three black kids at my K through 12, or K through 8. You know, two girls and, and me. So I was always kind of an outcast, but it was cool because they were like, look, you're real. Wow. You have, look at your hair. You know, it's kind of fun. But it was also traumatizing because I was never good enough and I was always trying to, you know, be kind of fit into the, to the private school life. Yeah. You know, and it definitely wasn't nurturing. You know, it was more like, you know, they were pretty rude. No, that's how it is. There's, somebody told me, they're like, you, whatever you, you know what it was? It was Tom Shadiak. You know Tom? Director? Uh, he lived in Paradise Cove and he went through awakening. He got into a bike, a bike accident. Gave a lot of his money. He started doing some, some wacky things. But I would go over and talk to him and he was like, number one thing, get your kids out of the schools. And I didn't understand what he was saying because to me, schools gave me time yeah. to do what I needed to do. Yeah, no doubt. But <laughs> didn't that's think what about it, it the same way. That's the problem right there, yeah, what I just said. 100%. Mm. I was looking at the school, like, yeah, do as much mm. as you can do. But I looked at it for, it, it would give me my time to do what I needed to do. Yeah. When ultimately. It's like babysitting. Right. Yeah. It's like a kidney, it's like a daycare, but till you're an adult. That's really which I think is horrible. My oldest daughter was homeschooled, and she's smart as a whip. She's mm. in, she's independent. She's confident. You know, she was really she was a thumper. Her mom was a thumper, so she was going to church twice a week, and she was you know lives in Alabama, so it's a little different. But she's definitely the homeschooling had a huge effect on her. I mean, really, mm. too is Chaz was homeschooled. And Jade, my, my, and we didn't really mean to, but it just kind of because I think their intellect, it was easier for them to be around older people and being in that environment, school and all that, you know, the judging, all that stuff. It just, it, it made it harder for them to focus on what they had to do, really. And, and so we did end up pulling them out, which is interesting. They never, because th- we didn't think about going into it. I always like thought of it as a place, but also the sports part of it was great. Mm. You know, we, we enjoyed the water polo and some of the other things, but. I think that, I don't know, it'd be interesting to put other things inside the curriculum that they have now and add some of the things that, that are offered in some of these other mystery schools because it probably would help. Well, as, as I said with, when Jim was here, I think 65% of the people jailed in, in the United States do not have high school diplomas. Wow. And one of the people at the debate the other night was like, we need to start with the education system because that's exactly. the foundation of, all, of a lot of it. So you're right, there should be yoga there should be spiritual classes in our education system to give these to give humans absolutely an, 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 a foundation, a place to kind of like, you know, understand who you are and what you are and why you are versus learn this that has nothing to do with coping with real life, mm. right? Zero. Like you, yeah, you spend your whole time reading about shit that's not going to affect you in any way. It's not going to help you help someone, you know. Just kind of like a, it, it needs to be, it needs to be changed. Yeah. And change, you know, when you tell them that it just needs to be worked on, you know, like think of the words because they take it very seriously, especially when you say the word spirituality, they freak out. Mm. You know, if you, if you really think about, and this is one of the reasons why I'm here is 
when going through an awakening, if you go to a hospital in the West, here in California, anywhere in the United States, they'll most likely you'll, you'll they'll say that you have schizophrenia, or your bipolar say something, but they're not. They don't understand what an awakening is. They don't understand energy-based symptoms. It just doesn't. And I think if they did, they most likely would be fired because they're not trained like that. So how are they to even understand it, right? So to me, looking at it, and I've said this a hundred times, I'll probably keep saying it every time, is that you know, being a spiritual being and having a human experience, they're all spiritual. So I think if we just looked at it from, from the, the reverse side, we're always trying to prescribe things and look at somebody from the outside in, mm. which is, doesn't seem, it's backwards. If you look at it from the other side and what the person is looking, because if you, you know, you put like putting a bandaid here, the, 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 the problem's still behind it. It's mm-hmm. always behind it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, yeah. Well, this is like, there's a, on the subject of, of, of schooling and, and, you know, change, I think, change in education, there's an example here in Los Angeles in Watts, actually, um, the middle, one of the middle schools there, that a friend of mine is, he's a sixth grade teacher there. Wow. And I've gone in with some of my friends to paint his classroom. We did this last year, and um, there's more paintings going up, I think, real soon, actually. And um, I've gone in, and I have this project called The Vision Train, which right, we can talk right. about later. Yeah. But we, but we um, invite the children to draw their visions in a train car. And it's this exactly what you're saying. It's like, there's what if we look at it from the other side? Um, that's exactly it. It's like you, you get an opportunity. You have other people come in, even in the system that you're in. And there's many teachers, amazing teachers out there that are infusing this perspective yeah. through the curriculums that they're being told they have yeah, the to follow. Stuff. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And this gave me hope, a lot of hope, going to um, Watts and spending time with these kids and doing these paintings in there when I, we come in they're like they're looking at us like we're gods because you know they're like wow you guys painted all this you yeah. know and their classroom looks like the classroom in the whole school yeah but the conversations that we got to get, get in with the with the teacher other teachers the principals you know and they're so stoked they want us to come yeah. back you yeah. know the more that we can come back and and just be be with the kids and open their horizons through direct experience Oh, absolutely! It's like we're this is real. This isn't a storybook. Yeah, you know, yeah. you do a lot of a lot of different things for kids. Since ever since I I met you, that was one of the first things we spoke about was mm-hmm. the train. Yeah, first well, this, thing. This, this, our our friend, mutual friend Samuel J. He yeah. came and 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 played music with us for another. It was a like first grade class. Really, some other friends of 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 mine, and um, it's some it's a still beta project. I feel like this is something that's still just barely getting going mm-hmm. because someday this train's going to be millions of cars long awesome pre- connecting people's visions little little kids to you know grandparents and all all the characters in between and it's time to really like bring out our 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 gifts and Absolutely. share them you know and and see them that they're real and they're true and that each one of us matters you know each one of our voices is so important and n- not one of us is going to draw a line in the same way really no i mean just a straight line maybe but uh, give them a give it a, a little yeah, bit of a time flare on it yeah and you're it's you there's no one else that can sit in the same seat that you're in right now you know there's only you and if you're if you don't give your gold and give your gift it's never going to be given you know? so true. And, and so giving platform for that I like I like thinking about how I can give more platform to you to can tell by support. the way you speak that you've had a a well-rounded 
I don't want to say um, upbringing, but ration of love, mm. right? Just by the way you speak and the way you articulate what you're saying right now, you could tell by the way you raised it, how they, how that you, you convey what you're saying, mm. for real. Yeah, you feel <laughs> right? Well, it's energy. No. It's energy. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's one thing to communicate verbally, but there's also that energy that you. I mean, I, I'm, I'm nowhere near where you are, obviously, but I, I feel it. We just are used to using it very differently. Well, it's like a switch that, mm. you, it is that, a you switch. Learn, that you learn to put on. And when you're also in the environment of other people that are in that state, then you, it, it, it uplifts you as well. You know, and we all have access to it. And that's the thing. It's like finding the things that help us get access, you know, and then realizing and not sabotaging ourselves. I mean, that's the thing that we, then we have to really become aware of because then you feel like, oh, that feels good. Like, that's really good for me. But then how many times do you then experience all those little demons that come in that are like, uh-uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like, Hold two up. steps back, Hold one up. step forward, you know, but it's, that's, that's the kind of like, that's the dance of yeah. also accepting. It scares, yeah, it scares people. Like, it, you know, we're talking about this and to me, this is normal now. And before years ago, I would have been like, what the, f- what are they talking about? But my son, it, it, you know, and my, all my kids, you know, they, they, if you ask them what, what is God or what, you know, you, what is consciousness? What they, we didn't know. We, I didn't raise my kids conscious whatsoever. I was a street hoodlum and I raised them. I kind of swear is survival mode, yeah. which I'm not saying is the best mode. I'm just saying it was my mode. But after going through this awakening and, and seeing that there's something else out there, mm. it's not just what you see. It's not as it appears, right? Um, and then knowing that I, I raised my kids this my whole life, where like if if somebody went up to my kid and gave him some shit, I'm telling my kid punch him, kick him in his lung. I'm saying like seriously, like I'm telling you, like my older son's the sweetest kid, and I was like I probably ruined him because I was thinking because you need to defend your you know as a man that's all you're thinking. If a man goes up to your kid, what are you gonna say? You gonna say crack him? That's just. I mean, t- I, I told my daughter that I'm like if somebody gives you a hard time, punch him in the face. That yeah, that's you know. But going back Bad and thinking advice. about not now with my, Bad I have an eight advice. year old. Oh my, horrible advice. It is the worst advice I've ever heard in my life. It's like yeah. ridiculous. But that's where it's like, if you do learn some martial arts, study some of that as a kid, you learn also your own power and your own kind yes. of like, uh, and then you also learn that you don't use that unless you, you ever yeah, absolutely yeah, 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 yeah. need to, right? No, absolutely. But it's like building those, building the strength of, of the sanction which is your, your, your auric field, yeah. right? So you can basically, that was one of the things that I was taught when I was 15. I got to study with this amazing woman in Boulder, Colorado. It was a self-defense course, but she was, she taught us about sanction. She's like, just within your energy, you can block people. You can, you can make yourself invisible. Yeah. And anybody that, you know, they, they can't see you. Yeah. And it's true. <laughs> I mean, experimented with <laughs> I mean, I, I can tell you this, like, you know, where me and Joey come from or where we come from together, like our experience together, not where we come from. But part of what I, I know I did is it was preventative. You know, my ego or my persona was much bigger than I was mm. in that world. So people were like, don't fuck with that dude. He'll bite your ear off, you know, and I'm not I was not that guy. But that was the persona. And I wrote I ran okay. with it. So when I definitely I. I would walk in the room and my energy was like, oh, oh shit. And I'm not, the, I'm, I didn't look like Jack, you know, Jack's much scarier than me, but I still had that same, I carried that same energy. Mm. 
to, to not have to use violence because I would project that don't fuck with me or I'm going to well, be on the street. You have, it's like you, if you don't have it, then people will yeah, fuck can, with you yeah. as they say. They and then, then, and then you're, you're a target to take that, to keep on happening. So the way I grew up is I knew that, you know, like every, if you do something every say four to five months, it really freak people out. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, really freak people out. They tend to stay away. Did you hear what he did? <laughs> yeah. and, and I was good at Trust doing me, that because you would just have to do like you know and it, it couldn't just be something very normal it had to be something very creative mm-hmm. and violent but creative but people would remember well, it's kind of like that like one of those stories and I, we'll get back to, to her journey right mm-hmm. but one of the one time me and Joey go out with some of our friends to Black and Blue this nightclub in Hollywood um, <laughs> and we were with one of Joey's friends I'm not going to mention any names but he's kind of a badass knew some martial arts right and Something had happened with one of our other friends and one of the bouncers had had a beef over a girl. And I, I hadn't been around those guys ever. And I, I, I knew who they were and what they were about, but I hadn't really seen it. But this one guy that we were with had four security guards walking us out. And he would, they were literally so afraid of him, Amanda, that he went like this. And they like ran four steps back. One of them, like six set Roman was a six step big dude. I mean, and that was one of those do it every once in a while because we wrote <laughs> off that story forever because people would see me they'd be like oh you were out the other night tell us what happened and I'm like <laughs> he just went like this and they like ran down the sidewalk and I'm talking about like really big men and the dude is smaller than both of us that did it and I was well like, he was the one okay so you just it's funny because I didn't tell you so he was the one who always told me you only have to do this about once every four months but you gotta be very creative <laughs> you'll have to fight much less you don't have to do you know yeah, if he, it, it, you don't have to protect your money like he, he had this was his yeah his mo this is his mo you know survival and survival and he knew and he knew it was mental it was a mental was, warfare yeah, game on the street yeah. you know so For a lot sure. of times you're doing it you don't want to fight like i don't want but you do these things to counteract so that you don't have to and then when you, you have to it. you just have to spin it yeah but that's happening that's happening around us all the time people are i think it is in coming from coming from that world and and raising kids and and now being a conscious man and looking back at how i got here and bridge i don't i'm not i don't i'm very proud of it now i'm not saying that we're like i'm proud of what i did i'm proud of who i am Mm -hmm. meaning that i understand that without that and all those lessons that i wouldn't be able to be here and learn and, and talk about those things and and god doesn't make mistakes so those things happen for a reason and i people are so used to looking at things i want a perfect life right i want everything perfect well everything perfect how would you ever know if everything got any better you wouldn't you only yeah. know good because there's bad mm. and we, it's true but everybody thinks it's always got to be great all the time it's like no you if you have practices and things that help you if it's sports whatever it is ballet art these things help you get through the day-to-day bustle and hustle that make you know make you get through the you know the trials and tribulations of the world so i i think that yeah that's what i think yeah no doubt (laughs) nailed it (laughs) so tell us about like after school like what what is what what made you kind of dive into art like when did you know what was that moment in your life where you were like i can create something that will affect people the way that it does good question um it was an evolution of course as it is i think i had a prayer when i was pretty young that i wanted to do something that mattered in the world that i realized that that was the best thing i could probably Mm. do is in some way be of service and i wasn't sure how that was going to happen um i had 
I, I was interested in art. I had, I had a great um, art teacher the last two years in high school um, who was very supportive in helping me refine technique and um, introduced me to new mediums. I think my first acrylic painting I did with him. I hadn't even touched oils yet, though, in, in, um, in school. But I was also introduced to the Renaissance, I think, in seventh grade, where that was the first time I was, it really opened my eyes. I was like, wow. Yeah, it moved me. You yeah. know, there was something magical about it that then I could sense that there was something there, and I had a real knack for it. I loved it, but I didn't see it as I didn't think that a career or something. I I wasn't really even thinking of career, but I had an a, um, an opportunity um, after high school. I mean, I was looking at art schools. My parents were very open. They're like, "All right, let's go visit some of these schools." Um, right. We went to New York, the Pratt Institute, Chicago, the Chicago Art Institute checking out these schools and stuff. But when I found out how much they were and everything, I was like, that's kind of, yeah, that's, a a, that's wacky, yeah. you know? I don't know, there was a part of me that was a little uncertain about feeling like going into debt like that was gonna be a smart move. And so I had another opportunity and it was through, there was a man, Sam Bull, who came to our school, I think it was like 11th, 12th grade. And he, um, he came to present this project called the Center for Interim Studies which doesn't exist anymore, but uh, he's gone on to create this, this organization, LEAP Now, which is a gap year um, program for kids in between schools. But this was a uh, project that was for anybody, like in a, in a gap year in their life, yeah. where they wanted to do something else, learn something else. Yeah. Do. And so I got to go into his office, and he had this big map that said that, that of the world, and he said, if you could go anywhere in the world, do anything, uh, you know, these are the three questions. Where in, the, where in the world interests you? What interests you? And uh, can you pay to be a part of a program? Would you like to pay to be a part of a program or be a volunteer? And so within that two-hour interview, we had such a great download and talk, and he immediately had these two people that just popped up. He was like, they're the ones for me. And those two people ended up being paving the way to where I am now. And one was Robin Lim. She was a midwife in Bali, Indonesia. She uh, won CNN Hero of the Year, I think, in 2011. Wow. She's a really incredible person, has built and, and helped integrate natural birthing back into Bali. How, long did, how old were you when you first went to Bali? I was 18. Yeah, right after high school. Right after high school. Oh, and in the okay. gap year. Yeah, my okay, gap year. Okay, I'm listening. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, uh, and I got to illustrate an herbal book based on um, traditional plants and roots. Uh, used in childbirth in mm. Bali. So it was a part of re-educating also the indigenous that they didn't have to rely on Western medicine. Yeah. Um, so there was this really beautiful kind of like community that I was brought into there that was deeply, I was living with the Balinese families and living with these kind of like renegade visionaries that were actually doing something illegal at the time. Uh, it's now a totally legal project called Bumi Sehat right outside of um, Ubud in Bali. Oh yeah, I was there. What, what is that? It's a birthing clinic. But what was illegal about it, you said? Uh, well, it wasn't a sanctioned government. Oh, natural birth, right? Yeah. Oh, that's go, why? You had to go to the hospital. And um, so, but, and then the other connection was this man, Michael Fuchs, in Vienna, Austria. And he's the son of this artist, Ernst Fuchs. Yeah, yeah. And Ernst Fuchs up. is a real legendary character that is not incredibly well known still yet, as he was a bit of a renegade of his time. He was a mystic. Um, and right out of Second World War is when him and some of his friends in Vienna, Austria founded the School of Fantastic Realism. And coincidentally, like this is seriously coincidental, <laughs> I think, is my high school art teacher 
is a Japanese fantastic realist, Hikaru Hirata, and he uh, was a follower. His great like mentor was Ernst Fuchs, but he never oh, got wow. to meet him. But he showed us slides of his work in school, in school. when I was like writing notes to my friends, yeah. you know, probably paying attention. But I come back and I tell him I, I got this opportunity through this yeah. man Sam Bolt to go study with his son, and I and I was and I told him I was like, I, I got this invitation to go be an apprentice in the style of the old masters with this artist in Vienna, Austria, and his name's Michael Fuchs, and he like fell against the wall. Yeah, he, like, no he was way. like, wow. But that's great, your teacher. But did you always feel like kind of like you always been in the flow? It's like sounds like that's I, something has been open, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I've been thankfully, I think, uh, you know, smart enough or wise yeah. enough to follow follow the right flow, yeah. you know, and not get too stuck. I've had quite a few challenges along the way of temptations to get stuck. Right. But there's been a gift. There's been some kind of co common theme along the way that has guided me. Yeah. I do feel very guided when I look back at my life. Though along the way, it's kind of like, oh, I don't know. Maybe that, that sounds like a good idea. Let's go over there. But it was, I almost stayed in Bali, actually. There was a period that I was, I got so, I really fell in love with the place. And it, it, it the, there's something very connected. I haven't been back now in like 11 or 12 years. How long have you there? I was there on and off. Um, for a good year and a half, kind of, and then I kept going back. My father was a pilot for United Airlines. Yeah, and oh, wow. so I had these uh, this wonderful opportunity to, to fly friends and family stand by yeah, yeah. <laughs> all over the world, and so that really enabled me to then live in Vienna, Austria, go back to Bali, and then come to the U.S. And I started doing that when I was about nineteen, and so I and I haven't stopped. We so, were, <laughs> yeah, tell yeah. us about the Apocalypse Chapel. Chapel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as we looked it up and kind of looked, it seems pretty amazing. How very amazing, yeah. How was that? That was an intense experience, very intense experience. So the Apocalypse Chapel is a um, side chapel built into uh, an old Gothic church in the southern capital of um, Carinthia, uh, which is Klagenfurt in Austria. There's yeah. nine states of Austria, and the southern state is Carinthia. And Klagenfurt is the capital, and it, it is a pretty conservative region, actually. Um, but the, the priest there was a pretty interesting character, and he was really, um, he really liked Ernst Fuchs's work and understood his work, and asked him originally to, to if he would maybe paint just a wall. And then it came back. It evolved. That, the, the, yeah, the and then it came place. back, and it was like, uh, well, it's going to cost this much. And he was like, oh, well, we don't have that kind of money. But it got, it, it got into Ernst's head. And he, he then came back, and he was like, all right, I want to paint the apocalypse. I'll do it for free. And I want that whole, whole side chapel. Yeah. And it took him 20 years. Wow. And actually. you were there for five, right? Yeah. Off and on for five. We were looking at, yeah, that was amazing. Absolutely. Amazing. And so I painted and I was in my early 20s when I was working in there. And I, I got to say, a lot of the time I did not like it at all. Yeah. <laughs> it was a really challenging space to be in. Claustro not claustrophobic. How big? Like, I mean, it was, it's not huge. Yeah, it's not a huge space. And it was like always in summer that we were there and it was gorgeous out. You oh, know, okay. and, and you're and, indoors. And okay. then there was like this real conservative. And I got to see through the kind of like beneath the skin of kind of the organization around the church, because we lived in the church house, you yeah. know, with the priests so and everything. on site constantly. Oh, it was strippy stuff. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it was had to be. You know what? Yeah, there, that, there yeah there's a picture of it. And yeah. I, I, 
I painted a bunch wow, of stuff. In here. I painted all the drapery that I saw the is. Phone. This that is ridiculous. All the drapery on the ceiling that is separating all the images into heaven. What's the floors made of? It's marble. Yeah, it looks amazing. But I mean, even though it wasn't that pleasant, that's part of your journey that you know you can always look back on and go, "That's what I don't want." to do again yes of course that always gives you but there were aspects of that i knew at the time too like these are experiences that i'm having that are incredibly unique yeah and valuable and rare and what i actually just got to go back here for the first time in like 10 years this this spring i took a my class um 19 students from all over the world we some of some of the assistants of uh, folks and I started a school six years ago in Vienna called the Vienna School of, of Visionary Art. Yeah. Okay. And um, so my, my five week course just recently was on the apocalypse. Nice. And so I wrap, you know, the, the unveiling, the, the lifting of the veil is actually what apocalypse means. It does not mean the end of times. It means the lifting of the veil. Wow. And so we went into, so what does that mean? And what, as an artist, as a conscious creator, right? What are what can you put out there to help facilitate the lifting of the veil? Wow, you know that's amazing. That's that's big. That's I big. Mean, we need a lifting of the veil now. Yeah. It's like, happening. It is. It is. But I mean, like literally, like can we just lift the veil now and just like <laughs> change things? Because that I didn't know that that's what that meant. That was that's 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 big. I didn't either when yeah. I was painting. In well, the, you know what that is? That's the polarity because people. That's the, the, the light of it and then the dark of it. Because apocalypse, you, what do you think? Think of the end of, end, yeah, end it's of all time. over. Right. That's what I think. I mean, that's what but that's what you think of. But, but, but the counterpart of that is... It is the end of time for that train of thought. Right. For that older way to do things. For yeah. those older people that are stuck. Yes. Which I'm going to keep that word close to me because I don't want to be stuck. Yeah. It's, it is the end of time for them. But it's not the end of the time for us. Right. And I mean us as in humans. Humanity. Not me and you. But right, like, I know. And it's nice to think, too, in a nonlinear fashion about this as well, that the apocalypse, that we're all in a different stage of the apocalypse. Yeah. Some of us are already living in the post-apocalyptic world, rebuilding the world. Some of us are living in the apocalypse, yeah, in an what? apocalypse And it's crumbling. Or, yeah. Our yeah. Li- you know? Yeah. Some fear it coming, don't know what it is, Right. And some have no clue. It's, it's, it's even happening. happening. <laughs> yeah. You know. you know, that's all happening right now. Right. You know what? You're absolutely right. And that's, that's, I think we touched on that with Jim the other day. It's like, it's realms, it's dimensions. You know, it's like people see things completely different. Yeah. And there's different people living in different realms that live in the same house. Yeah. <laughs> in this yeah, room. That are really in this room. Completely. No, think about it. In this room. Right. And that's it's like, like Joey's a mentor to me and always has been. When we were Thank out you. there doing what we did, I was, you know, Joey was teaching me. He taught me how to, how to, how to not to be a man. I don't want to be corny. And that's probably not corny, but he, he kind of taught me how to, how to move. You know, like I followed Joey's movements and I was like, okay, that's cool. And here I am again. Mm. And we're in, we're on different levels of this game right now. And I'm, I'm looking to you for that guidance. So we're definitely all in the same on the same road, but at, on, at different speeds, yeah. per se. It's real, and so that's, uh, you and know what I mean? Weave. Yeah. yeah we bobbing weave. and weaving, bobbing it's, and weaving. It's, the soul it's, families. And it's funny, I think that you don't really know you're being guided. You don't, I mean, depending, but you don't know you're being guided until you look back and you go, ah, I think I was being guided. Mm. Because you don't, when you're in it, it's hard to see it. 
right? It's so hard to like see what is actually happening because you're in it. But when you're able to like kind of look back at it, it's like taking this shirt off. You can look and kind of look and go, wow, and see how you're being guided. Because we're all being guided. I say the same thing all the time. We're antennas and we pick up on information. And just because we live in different realms that we don't connect to it. A lot of people just aren't connected. And that's, that's the thing I think that for this platform is trying to have a place to listen to and connect to other people that connect like that. Because yeah. I love talking about it, but I can't talk about it with everybody because when I do, it's a, well, now I know when to mm. and when not to because if I started talking about this before a couple of years ago, it sounds, it just doesn't sound like, you know, table talk. People just look at me and you sound crazy. Yeah. Sounds just doesn't that, sound like changing. A, it's, to, changing. it's changing now because I know who, where to say it and who to, who to you know, yeah, to. who my squad yeah. is. But I mean, if you, if you that, could have seen like the Joey you know, and the joy I knew and he knew and now yeah, completely yeah. different, like yeah. much kinder, much, much more, I, I want to say much more real. And mm -hmm. I'm, and that, that's a funny word to use, but it's like, he's his true, his true self now, you know, oh, and, and, beautiful. and you can hear it and you can feel it in the things that he's doing and the things that he says, you know? So, and, and, and so when somebody looks at me, cause I know who I, I know who I am and who I was, mm. but it's how I got here. But to look at that and know the things that I did, and I did some, you know, everyone does. When you're out, you know, there's things that no one wants to ever talk about, but you do them. So when I went through that and going through that awakening process and to look at it, and it really was the most, there was amazing things that were happening and there were things that weren't so amazing about the process. And that is being separated from my family because they didn't understand what was happening. You know, and for me not to have a place that understood what was happening. I had yeah. nowhere to go to say, you know, I'm, you know, the other thing I said, I said, I was hearing voices, which was, don't ever say that. Say you're feeling them. So don't, don't, because when I said that, they're like, what do you mean you're hearing? What are they telling you to do? Next <laughs> <day>. <laughs> Shoot up a Walmart. Like right out the, and so then you start to go, wait, this does sound a little crazy. So you start to stop and you, it, it's, you, there's no place to go to actually, to, so to think about this, the most amazing thing that can happen to somebody and there's nowhere to go to really help yourself besides, you know, for me, it was Kundalini Yoga. And I'll keep saying it. But, you know, a conscious community and, and, and community, just the right community to understand what you're going through and care about an individual from the other side, not from, you know, the outside judging them, passing all the other things that you do that make people not want to say it. They, instead, they go, you know what? Maybe I'll just kill myself. I don't want to tell somebody I'm hearing things. It's a lot of, e that's why people do the shit they're doing. You know, it, you ha, why would you, you don't want to because you're going to be judged. You're going to be pointed. So it's, it is difficult. Mm. So for me, putting my head down and just diving into it was kind of what I did with everything. But it was difficult because my my kids, my sons, the way I taught them, the way I was, it was the polarity was I wanted to help people. I wanted to be of service. Mm. And they looked at me like they're good people. But that wasn't what I was spitting, spitting before. Yeah, no doubt. You know, at all. Um, but I got to see how amazing it felt because it did feel good. It felt great. Now I, now I was saying some weird shit. But I really wanted to understand and go, wow, this, this is out there and it lives in everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, like we're always looking for this, this person, this, this president, this, this somebody guru to be, to lead us to, to the promised land when it's inside us. Like, yeah. it's not like someone else doesn't have it. And I think that's what I got to understand that I got to reach inside and go, oh, wait a minute. It's me. And so when I like, said that the other time, I said that, he's like, when I started to love me, I started to love everything. 
and I was able to understand it a lot differently because I wasn't projecting all my shit on everyone else and blaming them for all my idiosyncrasies Mm -hmm. because that's pretty much what I did to get everything was manipulate my way out of it and I was great I was a closer I could I was a spin doctor I could get it every time and if I didn't I would just keep working on you until you gave it to me yeah and it just you know and it 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 did it was like having you know these crosshairs your whole life and then all of a sudden no one tells you and they just switch and you're like, wait a minute, I thought I was pointed that way. Like, no, we just redirected you. Mm-hmm. We just were redirected. And then that's the, the part of, I feel, programming or conditioning, whatever you want to call it, that we have that you have to start kind of going back in to re-understand what's really going on because society teaches us pretty much all the wrong way. Please don't forget to rate and subscribe to the Space Between podcast on Apple Podcasts.